Welcome back to the Big Blue in the Bronx YouTube channel, everybody. Definitely hit the like button, subscribe if you haven't already, do all the good stuff. With that being said, New York Giants training camp is less than a week away. I'm very excited, not just because it's football, but because my other teams aren't doing so well. But with that being said, we have a special guest for today, Mr. Lance Meadow of Sirius XM Radio. And also, he does a lot of stuff on the Giants YouTube channel, the uh, Big Blue I think it's Big Blue Kickoff Podcast or something along those lines with Paul Dettino, John Schmelk, a lot of the other guys that go on there as well. But Lance, how are you doing, my man? We appreciate you coming on. I'm doing very well, Alex. Thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So let's get right into it. Obviously, it's it's been a big topic on social media. And of course, that is the one, the only Saquon Barkley situation, the New York Giants did not reach a deal long-term wise with Saquon. And how do you see the situation playing out? Obviously now that the deal was not done, there was a podcast episode released by this, you know, financial podcast, uh, basically talking about, you know, Saquon and, and currency and a lot of different stuff that went into it. And Saquon spoke his mind six days before, obviously they did not reach a deal and there obviously was a quote taken out of context about, you know, I could basically quit on my team and not show up and do that, but maybe I'm in a position to. So how do you see this playing out? What are your thoughts on the situation right now as it looks from a Giants perspective overall? And uh, yeah. Well, the way I see it playing out, Alex, I think is crystal clear. I think a lot of this talk right now, I understand we're all desperate to talk football, but I think a lot of this doesn't really hold any substance. Saquon Barkley will be in uniform for the Giants this season. He's not sitting out the entire 2023 campaign. Le'Veon Bell taught everybody a lesson, and Le'Veon even admitted that he regrets it all these years later. Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs, because Tony Pollard already signed his franchise tag, so I won't even throw him in that category. They're not giving up over $10 million in guaranteed money and simply watching from the sidelines. So, I understand some Giants fans, they're worried, they're concerns, but the economics of football, I think, indicate that Saquon will show up once the regular season starts. Could I see him not being present during training camp? Absolutely. It's no different than plenty of other guys that were forced into a situation where they had to play on the franchise tag. They didn't get a long-term deal done. There's no benefit from Saquon's perspective to show up to camp, God forbid, hurt himself and put his contract perhaps for next year or the year after in jeopardy. So it wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't show up for training camp. But once the regular season starts and the Giants have every right to dock his pay, he's going to lose money every single week in which he doesn't show up and doesn't play. And you just do the mathematics over the course of 17 games. It won't get to that. He won't lose any money if he misses any part of training camp because once you sign the tag, you're on the books. Until you sign the tag, you're not on the books. So, I mean, that to me is the layout of the land, Alex. That's how I see it. I really don't see there being any concern for this season. As far as Saquon's future beyond 2023, that remains to be decided. They could tag him again. The Giants have the power and the right to do that. They could trade him. They could cut ties with him. I think very much is up in the air beyond this because, you know, once again, it's the running back position overall. We've seen this year in and year out. A lot of teams are leery of 
investing a lot of money in that position because there's a high injury rate and you want to use most of your cap space elsewhere, regardless of whether or not they're more than a running back. Saquon contributes in other areas. I don't think that's to be disputed. But in fairness, I can make the same case about Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey contributes in a variety of areas, yet he has not proven to be able to stay healthy. And the Niners, who have a heavy emphasis on the run game and is an extremely valuable component, you can't tell me he's guaranteed to play 16, 17 games this season. We don't know. Time will tell. So everyone's rolling the dice, whether it's a jack-of-all-trades running back or a running back that fits into one criteria. So 2023, Saquon Barkley will be in a Giants uniform. He's going to play beyond that. We could sit here at nauseum and go through 75 different areas. My recommendation would be let's get through the 2023 season. Then we could do this conversation all over again in 2024. Essentially, yeah, you're correct on all points. And my whole thought process, I mean, obviously, as a Giants fan and even inside the building, you would like the deal done, whether it's, you know, the Giants conceding money or Saquon just lowering his offer a little bit. But I, I just don't see where the Saquon team has leverage. Obviously, there's speculation that his team, in terms of agents, may have, like, really, you know, upped the bar when it really – the bar wasn't that up. Um, we saw Joe Mixon revise his deal with the Bengals. Sure. Over the past, you know, week and a half. Obviously, you mentioned Tony Pollard. And obviously, yeah, you know, you saw Austin Eckler and Derrick Henry kind of ride the Saquon side as well as Josh Jacobs. But also as well is there's two different things, in my opinion, that come to, you know, why the running back position is not being as valued as much. And also to go into the conversation that I was just referencing with all the different contracts, Miles Sanders got, I think, six or nine million, million a year, and that's not even average. Dalvin Cook remains a free agent. Zeke Elliott remains a free agent. There's four contracts that really stick out to me when it comes to the running back position kind of, you know, turning into a, I can't say trash can, but it's just the stock is plummeting. Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, as you mentioned beforehand, Zeke Elliott, and David Johnson. All those contracts were precedents to kind of what the situation is right now, plus the fact that there's a lot of rushing quarterbacks in the NFL, a lot more mobility. So just it remains to be seen. Of course, we all hope uh, a deal can get done at some point. So moving past the Saquon situation, I want to talk about injury progression. And we saw this a lot with Giants rookies last year. I don't know what contributed to it. I'm not going to speculate. But a ton of rookies from the 2022 class suffered season-ending injuries. I've heard reports about Wandale Robinson as of right now. But the two I'm really wanting to, to see in training camp and – I'm also wondering what happened in minicamp too. make that three players, Marcus McKeithen, DJ Davidson and Darian Beavers. Any particular idea on where those guys are at in terms of rehab and how ready they will be for training camp, maybe even the regular season too? Well, I think it goes down to when they were both injured or all three, I should say. So Beavers suffered the injury in the preseason tore his ACL. He's been doing a lot of work on the side. McKeithen also suffered an injury prior to the season, whereas Davidson was more of a little bit into the year. I would say whenever you have an injury well before the previous season, I think that bodes well that you should be on the right track to be able to contribute once the regular season starts. But Alex, to answer your question, I don't think we're going to know for sure until training camp in the preseason starts because Remember, they're not going to throw any of these guys out during the spring. A, there's no contact. There's no pads on. So you don't really benefit from that standpoint. Everybody's just on their own pathway in terms of rehab. 
Let's see what level of engagement all three of these guys take part in with respect to the activities on the training camp front of the preseason. I think if they get into training camp practices in the preseason, what I mean by that is they're actually competing against their teammates. Then the track record would be encouraging that hopefully they would be ready to go. If they're doing a lot of work on the side and they don't take part much in a preseason game or training camp practices, then that could perhaps mean there may be some limitations at the start of the season. Remember, all of these players are candidates to be put on the pup list, the physically unable to perform list, and until they get taken off the PUP list, they're eligible to move to the regular season pup list, which would then mean that they'd have to mix X amount of games but then could return at some point. So I don't think there's any definitive timetables for any of them. I will say this. Of the three players you mentioned, Beavers is the one that has the most value because now that Jared Davis is done for the season, veteran middle linebacker, Beavers is one of the candidates to replace him. In addition to Micah McFadden, who also is a young player on the roster. And when Wink Martindale was asked about who's stepping up, he unsolicited mentioned Micah McFadden's name. But Beavers was drafted because he was Mr. Versatility in college. And he, I think, could be utilized sideline to sideline, middle of the field, near the line of scrimmage. So he holds the most value compared to all of those players. So that's the guy that personally I would be keeping close tabs on more so than any of the others because I think McKeithen and Davidson are more rotational battling for opportunity players. Beavers is a guy that could very well be on the field for all three downs, depending on, of course, how often Wink Martindale employs multiple linebackers. Absolutely. And sort of a, I would say, prequel slash kind of a cliffhanger to one of our subjects as we go on later on. And I just thought I'd throw this in for the next question. Obviously, Davis Webb was the third quarterback last year. Instead of bringing him back, you know, he's obviously doing some other stuff now. I think he's, what, the quarterback coach in Denver. Sure. Um, you know, Tommy DeVito, the quarterback from Illinois, is the third quarterback on the rosters of right now. Anything that stands out with DeVito in terms – and now obviously we'll see if he makes the roster because we have to see him in preseason games and training camp as well. But anything special stand out to him from what he did at Illinois? Well, he was a veteran quarterback from the standpoint of in college, he got a lot of experience in multiple programs that he played for. I wouldn't necessarily say anything in particular stands out. And I think we have a big problem if the conversation entering this season is going to turn to the perhaps third string quarterback. I don't think you ever want to overanalyze that position. I think they're in good shape. Tyrod Taylor, who got in a little bit last year when Daniel was banged up, is a polished quarterback. He has the mobility factor. So God forbid Daniel Jones misses time. You can't ask for a better situation with respect to Tyrod Taylor. And to answer your question, Alex, if they do have three quarterbacks, the third quarterback is going to be on the practice squad. They're not keeping three quarterbacks on the active roster. And that new rule that everybody is talking about with respect to what came out of the Niners playoff game when multiple quarterbacks went down – you have to have that quarterback on your active roster. He has to be on the sideline in uniform, and he has to count against the active guys. And then you can bring him in the game in the event that you go through the other two quarterbacks and they're not eligible. So, I mean, just think about what it would take to even entertain the idea of Tommy DeVito getting into the game. But he may not even, once again, be on the 53-man roster more often than not. So, 
If anything, he's a developmental piece. He's a player that will probably see a lot of preseason opportunity because they want to see what he could do within a game setting. But as far as realistically contributing to the 2023 team, if we get to the point where we're talking about Tommy DeVito, that means that Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor are sidelined, that I don't think there's any Giants fan that even wants to entertain or go down that road. Very good points all across. And slowly diving into the rookies, I know my answer on this. This was a big thing before the Giants headed off into summer break, obviously before training camp, which is coming up. And the outside media, they made a big concern about Jalen Hyatt with the third team coming in. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of scouts are talking about, you know, the route tree and all these different things. I mean, should there be concern or is he just getting him, getting in his work as a rookie with the third team? Well, they've got a lot of depth at that position. I, I think this gets overlooked with respect to the Giants roster outlook. I think wide receiver is the deepest position. I think defensive line makes a good case. Don't get me wrong, but you have various wide receivers that bring something different to the table. They have some tall guys. They have some speed guys. They have some middle-of-the-field guys. If you remember Darius Slayton, when he came in with Daniel Jones, they were part of the same draft class, that first practice, this was back at rookie minicamp, Daniel was throwing the ball deep down the field to Darius Slayton, and he was dropping it like crazy. And I remember everybody observing was saying, oh, my God, Darius Slayton, he has horrendous hands, he can't catch the football. And then Darius had a very nice rookie campaign. You know, this is, once again, going back to Alex, when there's no football to consume, we overanalyze very dry periods of the offseason. I, for one, I don't get caught up watching a practice and jotting down, okay, this quarterback had five completions, so that means that he's going to have a 70% completion rating once the regular season starts. It's practice. It's OTAs. They're going against the wind. There's no pads. We're reading way too much into when a wide receiver gets on the field, what team he's with, Jalen Hyatt barely had the ink dry on his rookie contract and we're already panicking that he may be working with the third team. You know, let's see what happens during the preseason. Let's see him go against competition that is not in Giants uniforms. We know what Jalen Hyatt did in college. And I spoke to the interviews up on the Giants YouTube page and their website, Alex Golish, who was his offensive coordinator at Tennessee, who's now the head coach at South Florida. I mean, we had a very in-depth conversation about all the talk about the routes and the concern, and he said they put him in a position to thrive within that Tennessee scheme. And from a work ethic perspective, he did everything that they asked him to do. Are the Giants going to ask him to do different things? 100%, because this is not the Tennessee offense. They're going to put him in different spots. They're going to ask him to run different routes. But he gets check marks in terms of what Tennessee asked him to do. I think he answered that call and then some, and you know, all you have to do is go to that Alabama game, which Joe Shane saw in person on the sideline. And he spoke about it this off season and you saw the speed front and center. So I'm more concerned if I'm the giants about what he does when they put him within whatever confines of the playbook, they're going to throw his way, not what he did at Tennessee. And keep in mind, he's got a lot of competition. So it would not surprise me, Alex. I'm not expecting Jalen Hyatt to get on the field and all of a sudden play 85% of the snaps. 
it could come down to game situations. It could come down to defensive back matchups. Remember, last season, there were games where the Giants threw a little bit more than they ran. And there were games where they just ran the ball nonstop. You're going to see a lot of that this season. Darren Waller's here. There's going to be games where there's a heavy emphasis on him. There's going to be games where all of a sudden, Wondell Robinson may be the go-to guy, like we saw against the Lions. It's going to fluctuate because of the versatility they have in the receiving core. And Hyatt's going to be a product of that. Definitely agree. Definitely agree. And it, as you mentioned, the depth, like Paris Campbell, they brought in Jeff Smith. So, yeah, he is going to have a lot of competition. And I think it was just because a lot of different people, scouts and you know other people combined, they valued him as like a, a first, potential second round, but he fell to the third round and the Giants got him there. So I don't think – there should be as much pressure on him as, you know, everybody seems to put on him. But once again, we have yet to see training camp. We have yet to see uh, the regular season and all that sort of stuff. Well, so, Alex, real quick, I didn't mean to cut you off. I think you bring up a good point in terms of the pressure on him. Once again, it goes back to how many snaps and how much playing time these players are going to get. Realistically, if you look at the layout of the land, we know Isaiah Hodgins is going to be a mainstay. Darren Waller is essentially a pseudo-wide receiver, especially in two tight end sets when Daniel Bellinger is on the field. Wondell Robinson, I'm very high on. He barely played last season. Before he even tore his ACL, remember, he had the knee injury he suffered in week one. So we're naming multiple guys. It's possible that Hyatt could be very well a complementary weapon as opposed to one of the top three targeted players on the Giants roster this season. Yeah, definitely, and you touched on it before a little bit, and we're going to move to that position. I mean, we'll get into uh, roster competition and positional battles in a bit, but just to peek in there once again a little bit, uh, the Giants drafted Jordan Riley in the late rounds, and to me, he's an interesting player, but I'm also – I can't say it's a lot to be desired, but – He's had a ton of college experience. Like he's been at four different colleges. I think Nebraska, Oregon. He went to a community college one year, and then North Carolina. Um, is there a ch and now? Obviously, once again, yet to see training camp in the preseason. Maybe he proves me wrong. He's played at four different colleges. Mentioned that minimal game experience. The Giants have a lot of depth on the defensive line. With obviously Leonard Williams, Ashawn Robinson, Raheem Nunez, Roches, Dexter Lawrence, who they just re-signed and then possibly DJ Davidson coming back. Is there a possible shot that he might not make the roster once again if there's poor performance, kind of like Chris Slayton did in 2019? Because there's also Ryder Anderson and Kobe Smith and Vernon Butler who fall into the mix. Oh, I think you bring up a great point. Yeah, I think he's far from a lock to make the roster. You mentioned he was a journeyman in college. I think he's known more for his run-stopping ability than getting after the quarterback. So if they expect to get anything from a pass rushing standpoint, they're going to have to develop that. You mentioned a lot of names, and it goes back to how much is Wink going to keep some of these players on the field? Because keep in mind, when Dexter Lawrence came off the field last season, and this is why the run defense struggled, team said, oh, you're taking Dex off the field? We're going to run at his replacement. What they did this offseason is they improved the depth behind Dexter Lawrence, Ashawn Robinson, Nacho. Now, those two guys are going to help. So if you want to give Dex a breather, you turn to one of those two players, that should assist. Ryder Anderson has reframed his body and had some really nice flashes thus far with the Giants. Vernon Butler's a former first-round pick 
of the Buffalo Bills. DJ Davidson is a guy we already talked about who had his rookie campaign interrupted. Maybe he gets back and carves out some snaps. So we must have named a good six, seven guys. Yeah, I highly doubt there's then room on top of all of that for Jordan Riley to get into the mix. So Jordan Riley could very well be a practice squad player this season who may get some call-ups here or there. And remember, remember, whenever you're taking a player that late in the draft, more often than not, it's a developmental player. It's highly unlikely that every player in your draft class is a guarantee to make the 53-man roster. So I think barring injuries to players in front of him, Riley in all likelihood is a very strong candidate to be on the practice squad and use this season as a redshirt year, if you want to put it that way, and then maybe make slightly of an impact the following season, depending on how many opportunities he gets. Yeah, definitely. And then before we get to positional battles, one more question. If you had to pick, and the Giants have a ton of them, which undrafted free agent do you think will get a lot of attention this training camp? Or maybe which one you're looking forward to seeing the most? A couple of names that fly off the top of my head. Ryan Jones, Haba Baldonado, Tommy DeVito, as we mentioned before. Troy Brown, Deontay Johnson, Alex Cook, Jamon Green, Bryce Ford Wheaton. Haba Baldonado is the one guy that I've been eyeing since he signed with the Giants. He has an interesting background. He's from Italy, and he hasn't played a lot of football. He ultimately went to Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh was able to tap into that skill set. He's got the ability to get after the quarterback. His sack numbers jumped off the page. I think he's a very active guy. I could see him being a situational pass rusher for Wink Martindale, and they need a situational guy, a complimentary guy. Even if he gets you three, four sacks, you'll take that. And remember, nobody has ever reached 10 sacks in a Wink Martindale defense going back to his Baltimore Ravens days. I don't think many people realize that. And that's another reason why when you make sack projections, even with Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams and Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari, you got to keep that in mind. No one ever reached 10 sacks during his Baltimore days. But I digress and get back to the subject at hand. Baldonado, to me, is the most appealing because, Alex, as you ran through all those players, I'm also looking at the depth chart at the position. Realistically, can you make the 53-man roster? Do you have a skill set where there's a need? And I keep coming back to Baldonado. I think that's the guy. And remember, he's got to deliver in training camp and most important in preseason games. But he has the appeal because of what he did in college. And he's raw. I like players where you're not necessarily fully scratching the surface yet because their growth as a college football player is limited. And once again, you know, normally you look at most of these players, they played in middle school, they played peewee football, they played high school football. He doesn't have all of that on his resume. Baldonado's the guy to watch. I definitely agree there. It's for me, it's him and Bryce Ford Wheaton and um, and a few questions. I'm actually going to get to the pass rush position because I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot to unfold there. But one of my biggest questions is this, and this is this is something that remains to be seen because one of these guys is coming back. He had a very good season for the Giants last year. To you know, many people didn't expect that. And there's another guy who's coming off of a neck injury, but you know, seems to be doing all right. That of course is the left guard position battle. Do you think that they're going to let Azu and Bredesen battle it out? 
Will it be a rotational system like last year, or do you think it's going to be an outright, okay, Bredesen's a starter, and then maybe down the line they'll try to kick Azudu in there? I think it'll be an open competition. I don't think necessarily anyone has the leg up. As you mentioned, Azudu dealt with injuries in the second half of the season after flashing early on. Remember, the appeal about Azudu is also he could play multiple positions, which he did at North Carolina. Now, I know he wasn't put at center, but – they may need him as an insurance policy. Bredesen can also play at center. They're somewhat interchangeable, and you're going to need some insurance to John Michael Schmitz. And whoever you keep as your sixth, seventh, maybe eighth offensive lineman, they have to have the ability to play multiple positions. But to go back to your question, could they rotate in the early stages of the season if no one in particular stands out? Sure. But I don't think – if you ask most offensive line coaches and teams – if they can avoid rotating, you're going to do everything in your power to do that specifically on the offensive line. It's one thing to rotate running backs, wide receivers. It's another thing to rotate a position where chemistry and being on the same page. And keep this in mind, Alex. If you're going to have John Michael Schmitz be your starting center who hasn't played one NFL snap, it's more of a reason why you want him to play next to a consistent left guard. I think you, do really, you really don't want to have every other drive, every other series be a different player that he has to get on the same page with. So Bredesen, to me, going into camp, I would say Bredesen 1A, Azudu 1B. But until I see what goes on during practice with the pads on and during the course of preseason games, you know that could very well change. But I think from what we saw in the spring, to me, Bredesen has this slight edge and also the fact that he played more in the second half of the season. But I think Azudu has a legitimate shot. If he has a very impressive camp, to me, they're not locked on to one specific guy. Definitely a lot of good points, and I agree there too. Back to the pass rush situation. You got Jihad Ward, you have Aziz Ojolari, you have Kayvon Thibodeau. Giants re-signed O'Shane Zimenez. Taman Fox is coming back for another year. And as we mentioned before, Haba Baldonado is a raw project, but he's something that could turn to something for Wink Martindale as a, as a situational pass rusher. What do you make of that battle? Anyone who has a leg up, anyone who needs to do a little bit more. I was reading some stats the other day that Taman Fox, you know, he wasn't very good in terms of tackling. I think he like missed... 18.5% of the t- it's like missed tackle 18.5 rate or something like that. But uh, we know O'Shane Zimenez, he's only a situational pass rusher where Baldonado, like what do you make up of the backup rusher uh, battle heading into camp? Jahad Ward to me is the guy that is probably solidified as the number three pass rusher. And you saw all those extra effort plays he made. And I'm not saying Ward's going to go out there and get five sacks even. I mean, if anything, he hovers around two, two and a half sacks per season, but he can be disruptive. So Ward to me is the guy after Kayvon Thibodeau, Aziz Ojolari, O'Shane Zimenez is on the bubble. They brought him back, but between injuries and other players passing him on the depth chart, he's far from a lock. So this is a huge camp, huge preseason for him. Taman Fox broke out immediately last season and was also a really good special teamer. Let's not dismiss that from the equation. I don't think the Giants went in and said, okay, 
Taman Fox is making the team. We expect him to get six or seven sacks. It was Taman Fox is coming in. We like what he brought to the table, but he's got to do a lot of the heavy lifting on special teams. And I think he did that. Even in the preseason, I remember last year, you know, recovering fumbles, getting his hands on loose balls. To your point, he's still raw. Remember, he's undrafted for a reason. But I remember actually, funny side story, I was talking with Mac Brown, North Carolina's head coach, this time last year when I was interviewing all the college coaches connected to the Giants' prospects. And unsolicited, he says, watch out, Taman Fox will make the Giants' 53-man roster. He felt that good about Taman Fox. And Taman Fox made the 53-man roster. So I was just basically regurgitating what Mac Brown told me because he clearly knows a lot more about his players at that point than I did. And I think the Giants coaching staff noticed that too. So I put Taman Fox ahead of O'Shane Zimenez with respect to the potential. And I think there's room for a Baldonado or another undrafted player to truly make a name for themselves. That's why you know, that's a position that I think is wide open. After Kayvon Thibodeau, Aziz Ojolari, Jihad Ward, it to me is up for grabs. One other player we didn't mention and let's not forget about this, is Ellerson Smith. Ellerson Smith is another recent draft pick, unfortunately hit by the injury bug, flashed in college, member didn't play due to COVID, which essentially went down as a redshirt year. He's in the O'Shane Zimenez category, Alex. There's the potential. You're waiting. You're itching. You got to see it. So O'Shane Zimenez, Ellerson Smith. It's show me time. One of them takes care of business this offseason. They probably do a good job of getting on the roster. If both struggle, that's when I think it opens the door for a guy like Baldonado or Taman Fox to further position himself. Yeah, and it's not like last year where, okay, it's just a new regime coming in. Because obviously, Ellerson Smith and Oshin Zimenez, they were both Gettleman guys. It's kind of at this point. Yeah, we're still kind of looking for more, or at least the Giants coaching staff probably is from Ellison Smith too, because they obviously didn't cut him last year. He's on the roster for a reason. Same thing can be said with O'Shane Zimenez, but at this point, kind of like I mentioned in a roster bubble video I did for O'Shane Zimenez, whether they keep him or not, I think he's this type of player. He's just a situational pass rusher that had, you know, one four and a half sack season in a different scheme. So as I said, at this point, and you know what? Yeah, Baldonado could be a guy that maybe does a little bit better in certain areas than O'Shane Zimenez, and maybe he hops him. Same thing with Taman Fox. I mean, as I said, Taman Fox played, I think, 30% of the defensive snaps last year, and that's not a ton. I mean, he played all 16 games, but a lot of those also, you know, snaps-wise were on special teams. So the next question I think is a very interesting one. We have two immediate make-it tight ends for the roster, Darren Waller and Daniel Bellinger. And the thing I'm wondering is, and I already have somewhat of a slight guess, but my guesses can be wrong, is in that third tight end, are the Giants looking for a blocker like Tommy Sweeney or Chris Myrick? Or are they looking more for more of a pass-catching type? kind of like a Lawrence Cager who came on last year. He did some things in the past game, caught his first Giants touchdown against Houston. Where do you think they're going? Also, not, not to mention the undrafted free agent and Ryan Jones. Cager is a former wide receiver who made some plays last season when his number was called. And Tommy Sweeney, to your point, is on the complete opposite end of the spectrum because he is solely a blocker. He's a New Jersey native, and he was in Buffalo. So he knows the scheme. 
and Brian Dable is very familiar with him. They've got Darren Waller and Daniel Bellinger. They're not lacking pass catchers. And all the wide receivers, plus what Saquon Barkley could do out of the backfield. Let's not forget Eric Gray, who they drafted to. You know, there's only so many footballs to spread the wealth. I like Cager. Is it possible they keep four tight ends? Perhaps. I mean, remember, we don't know. They may not keep a fullback, and maybe Tommy Sweeney is their fullback slash blocker, and they look at him that way, and he's in that category. But if you're talking about need, I would think the third tight end would be a blocker. You would want a player that you can mix and match, especially one you, you want to go big personnel. But the other thing that may lean towards who makes the 53-man roster and who doesn't is who they think can get through waivers and make the practice squad. Meaning, for example, we know Waller and Bellinger on the roster. If they say to themselves, if we cut Lawrence Cager, does somebody grab him off of waivers? If we cut Tommy Sweeney, do we lose him? If you ask me, I would say there's probably a better chance Cager gets claimed by somebody else more so than Tommy Sweeney because Cager's younger and more versatile. So if you're the Giants and you're looking at it through that lens, then I would say keep Cager part ways with Sweeney and then bring him back on the practice squad or however you finalize the 53-man roster. Here's another thing, though, that can't be overlooked, Alex. They changed the rules this year. There is no middle cut. There's no multiple cuts as we go from 90 to 53. It's all going to happen simultaneously. And the reason I bring that up, why that's important, is just think about this. You're going to have 32 teams simultaneously cutting their rosters from 90 to 53. Do you know how many players are going to be thrown out on the waiver wire at once? Normally, if you notice, if you go to previous offseasons, you methodically cut players and you can at least see what's going on around the league. Now, there's going to be some teams that are going to cut guys early. That always happens because if they feel they're not going to keep them, you might as well give the player an opportunity to catch on with somebody else. But there's going to be a lot of other teams who are going to say, we're not going to play anyone of note in the third preseason game. So we're going to hold on to as many bodies as possible and play all the players. So the reason I bring that up is we're looking at just the Giants roster. It's possible maybe somebody from the Buffalo Bills is let go, like an Isaiah Hodgins. Maybe somebody who Mike Kafka was with in Kansas City or Wink Martindale, and they want to bring that player in who they think brings them a little bit more to the table than somebody on the Giants roster. And that could very well be Alex at the tight end position. So that's another thing that could shift their thinking with respect to how many guys and who they keep, whether it be three or four. What's up to my guy, Jets West Mess, in the comments? And assessing that waiver wire comment and all that sort of situation, because it's a really good point. We're missing two tight ends that were a part of the Giants uh, last year. And I think one of them originally made the roster. One didn't. One was a late come on. Tanner Hudson, who they released midseason, and Nick Vanette. So those rotations obviously can always happen. And also just outside the tight end position, Jalen Smith, he was re-signed at some point. Fabian Moreau ended up being a big impact player when Adoree Jackson went down. So that's, I think, what a lot of people have to keep in mind. It's not just, you know, who's on the roster right now, but the waiver wire and then potentially in-season changes, which I think is going to be really interesting, especially in the second year of the uh, Dable and Shane era. But 
Moving on, we talked Nick about McLeod, this. by the way, is another Nick guy. McLeod, too. Worth mentioning, too. Yeah. But we talked about this earlier with injury progression and stuff like that. Gerard Davis is out for the year, which leaves Micah McFadden and Darian Beavers, who hopefully will be ready by training camp in the preseason. Those two guys are going to be competing for what looks to be the spot next to Bobby Okereke, but also it could be just a rotational spot. Now that may leave one or two spots open. There's a lot of guys that factor in two undrafted free agents in Troy Brown and Deontay Johnson. And then two guys that have been here the last few years haven't really gotten a ton of snaps on defense with more special teams in Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown. Who do you see really making an impact or getting the most of the attention out of that core four now that Gerard Davis is basically done for the season? This goes back to roster management and the numbers game because the way that I'll go about answering that question, Alex, is, and I've heard a lot of people start to speculate what does Davis's injury mean to the linebacker position how many times is Wink Martindale going to have multiple linebackers on the field? That's the pressing question. If he goes extra safeties, extra DBs, the value of keeping five or six linebackers, and I'm talking about interior guys, not pass rushers, diminishes. Because if you feel good about Darian Beavers and Micah McFadden, right next to Bobby Okereke, we just named three interior linebackers. And Beavers has the ability to go to the edge as well, based on what he did in college. So guys like Carter Coughlin, Cam Brown, and I'm not even going to bring the two undrafted guys in until we see a little bit more of what they could do in training camp in the preseason. It's more of special teams, if anything. And that's what Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown have become. Remember, Cam Brown a few years ago had that big return for a score against Washington. Carter Coughlin had sacked Tom Brady one year, if you recall. And we saw a flash here or there, but they really became special teams guys. If Wink Martindale goes to Brian Dable and Joe Shane and says, guys, we have our edge rushers, who we were talking about earlier. We're in good shape with Micah McFadden. Bobby O'Karake and Darian Beavers, assuming they all hold up health-wise, I could see one or two of those guys maybe going on the practice squad and maybe not even making the 53-man roster. You know, it goes back to O'Shane Zimenez, Ellerson Smith, Carter Coughlin, Cam Brown. All of these players are in the same category, Alex. It's show-me time because you have a new general manager, a new coaching staff, a new draft class coming in, the potential of undrafted guys emerging, the potential of off the waiver wire, new faces being brought in. You add all of those other factors up, unless they start to prove that they can be reliable options on defense, I'm just having a hard time finding spots for them, especially within the defense. So whenever anybody has asked me about interior linebackers, my response is, I don't think Wink Martindale is putting those guys on the field very often. So therefore, if you're only seeing two linebackers at max on the field, Bobby Okereke, we know, is an every down, three down linebacker, and maybe a Beavers, maybe a McFadden, then the emphasis on the DBs and keeping more safeties and slot guys, like a Bobby McCain, for example, who could play in the slot and safety, more so than any of those interior linebackers that you mentioned. 
all correct points there. And you talked about Bobby McCain, the slowly slide to the safety position. Last year, Dane Belton did not get a ton of second-half play. Apparently, he got injured and was dealing with something. However, you come into this year, Julian Love is no longer a part of the team. Do you think he's facing any stiff competition as of right now? And obviously, there's obviously the rotational factor. But do you think he's facing any stiff competition right now as far as starting off the season-wise or getting more snaps from a guy like Jason Pinnock, who they claimed off waivers last year and ended up being a solid piece for the Giants? Also factor in Bobby McCain, who you just talked about, and uh, Javarius Owens, who they drafted with their last draft pick in the draft. So is he, do you think he's facing any – I mean, he'll get playing time, but do you think he's going to face any stiff competition in terms of majority for the majority of the snaps? I don't. Owens, who you mentioned, the draft pick out of Houston, I look him at look at him as mainly a special teamer. And Bobby McCain could be that versatile player that Wink operates differently game to game, meaning one game he has him in the slot – Another game, he has him as the third safety. The Pinnock is a veteran who was previously with the Jets who had to step in because of injuries. But I think Belton, assuming once again he has a productive camp and holds up, when they moved on from Julian Love, to me, that was to create an opportunity also for Dane Belton to line up opposite Xavier McKinney and for these two young guys to play well with one another simultaneously. I think it's Belton's job to lose to answer your question. And I don't see them, you know, going out of their way to put somebody ahead of him on the depth chart. The only guy that once again, I could see taking playing time away from him is Bobby McCain, just because Bobby McCain is a Swiss army knife. You can use him in a variety of different spots. So if Wink Martindale case in point is going up against an offense where they're really going to spread out wide, various wide receivers. And he just feels McCain is a better man-to-man at the line of scrimmage cover guy as opposed to Belton, well, then that justifies playing Bobby McCain more. If you're going up against a team that is looking to run or relying more on deep passes where you need a Dane Belton who can assist in that department, then Belton will play more. I don't know if they're going to, at the end of the season, if you're going to have two safeties, and this would also depend on two guys actually staying healthy, then you're going to see them play 85, 90% of the snaps. Something tells me there's going to be three safeties that are going to log a bulk of the snaps. Now, could that be McCain? Could that be Pinnock? Could that be somebody else we're not talking about? It's going to be three to me more so than two. McKinney will be the main guy. The other two guys, I think, can balance the load. And final question. This is position that's still in the secondary is the slot corner position. And overall, we could take a huge glimpse at the uh, the whole corner spot. So starting out in the slot, how much pressure do you think Darnay Holmes is under to be ousted by Cordell Flott? Now, obviously, once again, factor in the rotational stuff, but Darnay Holmes, at least the way I see it, he's solid in zone. And, man, he gets a little grabby. They drafted Cordell Flott last year. They still have Aaron Robinson, who I personally like and could be a slot guy too, but he's always dealing with injuries. How much pressure do you think Donnie Holmes is under to lose his job as the primary slot corner? I think he's under a lot of pressure because, as you mentioned, there's several appealing candidates. And Flott, by the way, like Aaron Robinson, you know, we saw him in and out of the lineup. 
I like Robinson too, but Robinson's coming off a notable knee injury last season. And I think they look at Robinson more of an outside guy than necessarily an inside guy, even though he has some experience at both spots. So to me, if Robinson can get back to full health, he's more of an insurance policy for Deontay Banks and Adoree Jackson. And you need that third guy because you can't expect everybody to play 17 games. So it comes back to Cordell Flott and the veteran Bobby McCain. And Darnay Holmes, the biggest issue for him, and I think you were hitting on this, is the penalties. Because if you go back to last season, and I log all the penalties, he and Dexter Lawrence, but Dexter Lawrence wasn't necessarily because of holds. It was more of hits on the quarterback. They were up there right behind Daniel Jones for individual penalties. So I think that says a lot about at the line of scrimmage, the grabbiness. I remember Holmes had one penalty in Tennessee week one that helped the Titans get a legitimate shot at a game-winning field goal, which was on the mark, if not for a few inches here or there. So the bottom line is, yeah, those two guys, I do think, pose a notable threat. And once again, Flod is a player that was drafted by Joe Shane. It's a new regime. If they invested in that player, the coaching staff helping to develop, not to say Darnay Holmes doesn't have a role on the team, but you know they have a reason to want to see him flourish. And Flott has more length than Darnay Holmes. Let's not forget about that because he's taller. And in this day and age, some of these wide receivers are interchangeable on opposing teams. They'll line them up on the outside. They'll line them up in the slot. So this idea that in today's NFL, they put the small guys in the slot and all the big guys on the outside, that's not true. They'll put tight ends in the slot. So that means that you need, my point is, somebody with length, somebody with size to play inside to be able to match up with those taller targets. I mean, what happens if they put a Darren Waller or somebody else on the inside. If you're a defensive back, you've got to be able to push him off of his route. If you have a little bit of a lengthier frame to do that, that to me is beneficial. So I would say Flott could very well be in the driver's seat. And then Darnay Holmes also has to think about how they utilize and employ a guy like Bobby McCain. So yes, to answer your question, the pressure is definitely on him. No doubt about it. And just an overall view, because you brought up a lot of good points about the slot corner position. Just an overall view of the cornerback room, too, is you look at – I look at four guys. I mean, one guy is probably not going to make the roster. Maybe practice squad is Zion Gilbert, who saw some time. He gave up that touchdown to Jahan Dotson against Washington last year when Darnay Holmes was out. But I look at Robinson. Obviously, I think he may or may not make the roster. I think it's uh, a game of inches there. Cordell Flott, we already mentioned – Flott and Robinson can have proven they could play the outsider. Holmes right now is just like, eh, he looks like a slot guy. So I think he has to try to make himself more expendable, maybe on special teams. Now, I think Holmes is going to make the roster because you can't argue against the experience that he's brought. And he's an overall solid depth piece. I mean, if he was injured all the time and, you know, all these different things, then you're probably not considering him to make the roster. But, you know, just to get more playing time, he might have to make himself expendable on special teams. I remember, I think in college, he was doing kick return and punt returns. But overall, in terms of the corner position, I mean, you got Deontay Banks, Adoree Jackson. They brought in the vet in uh, Monty Oruwarie, the rookie Trey Hawkins. Who are some of the guys that, you know, have to prove it this year in order to make the roster? I think Radarius Williams, but in my personal opinion, he might already be far gone because of the comments he made on social media last year. 
Not to mention Aaron Robinson, too, like we've been talking about, because I'm, as I said, I like Aaron Robinson coming out of college, but he has not been on the field. Well, Radarius Williams is another guy also that has struggled to stay on the field, too. So Williams, he has to prove durability wise that he can hang in there. I think that's the number one thing with respect to his viability moving forward. As far as other guys that are facing the pressure or it's a significant camp, if you want to word it that way, Cordell Flott is a third round pick in 2022. So we know that, you know, it's a big year for him, but I don't think the pressure is on. Anybody who was undrafted is far from a lock with respect to that position. And anybody that we went over that was drafted by, once again, the previous regime, Dave Gettleman and company, I think can't feel secure. So Rodarius Williams was a sixth-round pick in 2021. Aaron Robinson, third-round pick in 2021. And Darnay Holmes was a fourth-rounder in 2020. Those are the three guys I think you need to focus on because we're talking about two players that have been in and out of the lineup and another player, Darnay Holmes, remember, 2020, 21, 22, 23. Alex, this is the fourth and final year of his rookie contract. So forget the Giants. Holmes is also putting it all on the line in terms of what's the next step in his career. Do the Giants give him another contract? Or if he hits free agency after this year, that means he has to become attractive for other teams. So I would say it probably all comes back to Darnay Holmes. Would I be surprised, though, if Darnay Holmes doesn't make the 53-man roster? Absolutely. Because I think what Holmes holds over those other players we talked about is, and you were alluding to this, Holmes had special teams returns in college. And if you actually look at, not the Giants, because they haven't released an official depth chart, but some of these other websites, they still list a Dory Jackson as a punt returner. And I don't think that's going to happen again based on his injury last season. And Darnay Holmes is listed right behind him. So Holmes could be in play to be the punt returner this season, unless another candidate that we're not talking about. And Eric Gray is a player to watch out for, a wide receiver. I'm not saying they don't have other players, but the point is all of these corners that we're talking about, if they show value on special teams, that's the way that they carve out a spot. And I think because of Holmes's experience in the slot and flat being in and out of the lineup, the Giants can't roll the dice on one young guy being the end-all, be-all, there's room for two to three guys that have experience in the slot, and that's where McCain and Holmes come into play. Yeah, definitely. And going back to that special teams and kick returning, punt returning, I mean, they've been testing out Jalen Hyatt there. Jay Sean Corbin had a few nice returns last preseason. You mentioned Eric Gray, Jadon Mickens, who was a punt returner for the Jacksonville Jaguars and Buccaneers. So it's going to be all interesting, and it's more up to special teams than I guess a lot of people would like to imagine. But um, with that being said, going to start to close out here. Lance, any final thoughts with training camp less than a week away? Well, as far as final thoughts, it's just going to be exciting from the standpoint of, A, we're actually getting back to football, which is nice after several months off. And I do think that there's some depth in a variety of different positions this season, which maybe the Giants haven't had the luxury to throw out previously. So the battles at wide receiver, there's a lot of guys that are not making this roster. And the Giants are going to have difficult decisions to make. And that's a good thing. That's not necessarily a bad thing. And then the depth behind Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams and what those guys can do on a consistent basis. Because if you're Wink Martindale, you don't want to play Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence 90% of the snaps. 
you have to be able to rely on other players. So those two spots are the areas to watch. And then as far as the rest of the roster is concerned, I don't know how much we're going to get an idea of snap count wise during the preseason, because I just don't see a lot of the regulars playing. So I wouldn't read too much into it, but with Saquon, as I mentioned, unlikely to be around for training camp. Eric Gray is one individual that I think has so much opportunity in front of him. Barkley's not playing. Breed is not playing because he knows the system and he's a veteran. So Gary Brightwell and Eric Gray. And we saw Brightwell benefit during this time of the year last year, but I think it's going to be the Eric Gray show. I think they're going to play him a lot during training camp. They're going to throw him out there during the preseason. That's good because in the event that Breida or Barkley gets hurt, you're going to want to feel as if you could throw somebody in there that could handle the bulk of the snap. So one individual is Eric Gray, who I think could capitalize fully. And the other guy as a second candidate is Colin Johnson, who I think everybody's forgotten about at wide receiver because he was hurt last training camp. And here is a guy that adds a lot of length and experience that is almost the forgotten individual, the stepchild, if you want to look at it from that standpoint. And I think if Colin performs, he's got a very good chance of making this roster. So don't discount him from the conversation. I'm very excited about Colin Johnson coming back second, you know, year with the giants and this new regime adds a little bit of speed. In addition to being six foot six, I'm personally excited, but with that being said, I shout-outs to uh, Blue City. Because in my opinion, I think Gary Brightwell should uh, get more snaps on the field. I think he definitely will, special teams. And the fact that he was a kick returner last year only adds more value to the cause of possibly him making the roster. But um, with that being said, going to close it out here. I would most like to thank Lance for coming on, taking the time out of his day, having a pre-training camp discussion. Would like to thank the chat for coming out on a Thursday evening i would say but uh like comment subscribe to all the good stuff we appreciate you guys i threw lance's twitter in the chat also you can catch him on sirius xm radio and he does a lot of stuff on the giants youtube channel and also wfan so we appreciate you guys we will see you next time have a good night everybody (laughs) 